Morning, church. I'm going to do our reading for today, which is Hebrews chapter 3. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house. If we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. No, they will never enter my place of rest. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says? Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God? Even though they heard his voice, wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your words. Thank you for the way that you speak to us and reveal yourself to us. And as we come to this passage today, Lord, I pray that what we not know, you teach us. And what we don't have, you give us. And what we're not are, you make us. Because that's what you want to do, Lord. You're a great God. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So, um, as we've said earlier on, <clears throat> we are reading from the book of Hebrews, and I wanted to stop today and pause for a moment for us to be 
um, dealing with some things that are coming from Hebrews chapter 3. It's a condensed um, chapter. It's got a lot of stuff. And I just wanted to stop in only a few points that come very clearly from the passage. So uh, the letter, the epistle to the Hebrews is written to a group that is not specific. It's just written to Hebrews. Uh, Those who basically have come to faith in Christ by leaving behind Judaism. The author is not known there is different suggestions. Uh, there is different um, takes until the 18th century it was taken that Paul was the writer, but then uh, there is uh, challenges there with the style and stuff like that. So it's very difficult to pin down who who the, the, the writer of Hebrews is. But it's written specifically to do two things, actually to build an argument by uh, pointing to two main themes. The first main theme is that Jesus is the Son of God. So he's writing to, 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 to the readers that are with a Jewish background. And secondly, that Jesus is the High Priest. So these are the two main themes that they recur throughout the whole book. And the the writer has got, in this letter, has got a long argument. So he has started, I love how the book of Hebrews starts. In the past, God spoke to us through the prophets. But now, that kind of revelation has stopped because he has revealed himself to us in his Son in Jesus. That is the final revelation. That is adequate. That is sufficient. That demands response. And then he continues to build this argument by saying, but, but, but if this is the final revelation, then it must mean that Jesus is great. Well, actually, it means that Jesus is the greatest because he is greater than the previous revelations. So he says, okay, I'm going to start building the argument by saying, well, you think you have pictures and you have things that you behold to from the Old Testament. Well, Jesus is greater than that. So chapter 2 is talking about Jesus being greater than the angels. So it was perceived from the Jewish um, understanding that the law, the Torah, was given to Mount Sinai, to Moses by the angels. These were God's messengers. And then he's just said the argument there in chapter 2 that Jesus is greater than these angelic beings that have given the message of God. And then you've got the cohort of people who are coming back to these Christians who have just come, they've left behind Judaism, they've embraced Christ, and they're they're saying, well, but but we've got Moses. They're saying, great, you've got Moses. But what we read in chapter 3 is that Jesus is greater than Moses. And he's going to give really arguments there of how, how this is possible. So he's not belittling uh, Moses. 
Uh, he's just saying that Jesus is greater. He's superior to Moses. Jesus is Christ. Well, Jesus' superiority is, is given. Actually, he's going to compare it. Uh, and he gives a, an analogy from the daily life. He says, the builder and the building. The builder gets the credit. He gets the recognition. And he says, well, Moses gave you the law, but who was the architect? It was God. Moses made those systems of sacrifices, but actually they were there. Jesus made them. So, because Jesus was there before Moses. So in one sense, what the writer is trying to do here is just to highlight, to impress it on people that Jesus is superior. Now, there is a temptation here because this people who've left behind a traditional and actually pretty valid point of following God until the point that Jesus comes, they have been embracing Christianity and now you've got people who are saying, well, why are you doing that? So, so there is a temptation there to think, oh, have I made the right decision or not? The temptation of the recipients of the letter to, is for them to actually incline to the back, to, back to the old ways and to forget or drift or neglect their commitment to Christ. There's three commandments, three imperatives in this chapter. The first imperative that comes is um, in the beginning of the chapter, and the other two come in verses 13, uh, 12 and 13. But the first imperative here is consider Jesus. Consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Well, Jesus is the one who sent. The apostleship is this idea of the messenger, the one who sent. Consider Jesus the apostle, the one who sent, but also the high priest of our confession. So he's not only sent, but he has accomplished the task in which he was sent because actually he is the high priest. Now, I said it earlier on as we're praying, we've got an issue with understanding a high priest, the notion of high priest in the English language. Uh, back home we say, Jesus is the head priest. Actually, that's what it says in Greek. He's the head priest. He's the, he's the, the top of the top. He's not just the high priest, but he's the head priest. Not only he is the apostle, so he has come to accomplish the task. Well, he has come, he has been sent with a task, but he is the head priest. He has accomplished that task. And we know very well how, how Jesus accomplished that. We know very well that actually um, it's, it's him who, who went to the cross. It's him who, who died. It's him who, who brought an end to the sacrificial system. It's him who was resurrected. It's amazing how 
the greatness and the superiority of Jesus makes a difference in the community of faith. So, what do we do then with this? What do we do with this imperative to say, consider Jesus? Well, it's very easy to get distracted. It's very easy to get drifted. It's very easy to end up in endless arguments and conversations and deliberations. And I think what the writer is trying to say here is that, actually, guys, don't waste your time. Consider Jesus. You've known him. You've experienced his love. You've experienced his forgiveness. You've experienced his deliverance. You've experienced everything that Jesus has offered because he says, I've come for my disciples, for my followers, to have life and life to the fullness. Consider Jesus. It's the first imperative. The second thing that the writer is trying to do is because he knows, he's aware that they are familiar with the Old Testament stories, he's going to, to do two things. He's going to quote something from the Old Testament and he's going to recall a story from the Old Testament. And they're both hand in hand. He's going to, to quote something from Psalm 95 which actually, it's a psalm of worship. It's a call to worship. And the opposite of responding to that call of worship, as we would read in Psalm 95, is to harden your heart. Some read it at the beginning of the psalm, um, give thanks to the Lord because he's great. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. He's actually consider Jesus and actually respond to that call of worship. And one of the things that Carazon's saying in the psalm is what he quotes here in Hebrews 3. But today, when you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice, Today, so the command is not just hear his voice, but the challenge here is do not harden your hearts. So it's not only a matter of hearing God's voice, but tuning the hearts to be found obeying what the Lord says. And the argument here is today. So I think what, what I was trying to, to, to do yesterday, trying to think, what is something that I can give a theme for the sermon today? And I, I spoke to Ruth, and I think I came up with this, that is a word for today. Today, says God. Not tomorrow. It's today. If you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts. And with the hardening of hearts, he's going to recall the story of Kadesh Barnea. Now, 
In 2022, we read through the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 13 and 14 is, Kadesh Barnea is a very important place. Kadesh Barnea was the place where Abraham uh, won the battle with the Amalekites. And then in Kadesh Barnea, they come back and they get instructions from God to go and spy out the lands. Remember those 12 spies, one from each tribe were picked up. And they said, you've got 40 days, guys, to go and do a survey of the land. And they come back, they come back with amazing fruit. Grapes and pomegranates. They come back with heavy clusters of grape and pomegranates. But also they come back with this confused message. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, and the ten of them disagree on the way that they describe the people. The ten spies say, yes, the land was beautiful, yes, there is grapes, we've brought fruit, but they're giants. It's terrible. How are we going to fight these guys? And Joshua and Caleb says, no, no, we will. Because actually, it is God the one who has promised this land. So the people's reaction then on the basis of this survey, on the basis of this evaluation, is terrible. It's tragic. They weep, they complain, they rebel, they doubt the promises of the Lord. So we know that life in the wilderness was not easy, but to the point that this group of people hear the reports and they say, we wish we were back in Egypt, enjoying the misery and the slavery of where we were, rather than being here, just on our way to the land that God has promised us. And there's two moments in the New Testament where Kadesh Barnea is referred to. The first moment is in 1 Corinthians 10, when Paul is writing the letter to the Corinthians. And actually, it's very interesting how he is addressing something there that is very, very crucial for the life of a disciple. But before we go there, I just wanted to draw some applications here. Because it's very interesting how this story of the old is coming back uh, into the memory of the people of God. The weeping, the murmuring, complaining, and the foolishness to wish that they were better off dying in Egypt provoked God. Drove Moses and Aaron crazy and led them to rebellion. Ten people's reports caused a rebellion for the whole nation. And what happened? They missed out 
on the blessing that God had for them. From the context of 1 Corinthians 10, here Paul is writing to this to Corinthians by bringing their example because actually he sees that the people in Kadesh Barnea they refused their calling to the spiritual purposes of God. So not only did they murmur and weep and complain that led to rebellion, but they refused their calling to the purposes of God. And why did God want it for the people of Israel to come out of Egypt? Do you remember when Moses went to Pharaoh? He said, let my people go, says the Lord, so they may worship. So this was the purpose for, for, for people to come out so they can treasure and worship God and they can reflect this relationship in the way that it manifests his character, in the way that they deal with each other. So they can continue to promote and to live out the promises that God made to Abraham to be a blessing. So this was the first thing that Paul says, that actually when, when the people in Kadesh Barnea responded, responded to the, the, the survey of the ten guys in fear and in complaint, actually they refused their calling to the spiritual purposes of God. They refused those for such moment as this of Mordecai and Esther. And I just wonder whether there is anything that we as church of God can learn from this. I just wonder that in, in these times of crisis, in these times of gloominess, in these times of so many distractions, whether we can recall and refresh and enjoy and embrace the purposes that God has got for His church. We are called to bring the hope of Jesus to Westbury Park and beyond. What an awesome opportunity! What a responsibility! What if we were to embrace this and we say, God, we trust you because we want not to be found people who refuse the calling to go and make disciples of all nations, to teach them everything that the Lord Jesus has teached. And to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Knowing that Jesus' promises, for I know I am with you till the ends of the earth. And as Hebrews 3 says, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts 
as Israel did when they rebelled. This is verse 8. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw many miracles for 40 years. But their hearts turned away from me. What would it look like? What if this was part of our lives, that we have got hearts that are turned towards God? It's happening. It's happening. It's happening here in this group of people. And we embrace the purposes that God has got for his church, for you, Cairns Roads, for us all together. But when we come to Hebrews 3 and 4, we see that it's not only to do with them missing out or refusing the spiritual purposes of God. But the writer of Hebrews picks something else from this generation of Kadesh Barnea. And the writer of Hebrews picks up on unbelief. That the promises that God has for his people are too good to be true. Unbelief that is generated by suspicion, by ideologies, by things that are not to do with the heart of God or with God's provision. Unbelief, suspicion, in provision of the promises of God. And I have had to check at my heart all week this week. And I have had to repent and say, Sorry, Lord, for the things that I have shown my unbelief that is not possible. Or for the drifting away to saying that actually, yes, that promise is true. It's okay for me to preach it, but to embrace it on my daily life, is that a different thing? Because if that's a different thing, then, well, I'm a hypocrite. And therefore, I am summoned as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, to actually follow through true that the promises of God and whatever he has revealed to us in his words are trustworthy and they're not too good to be true they are true and I have to tune my heart I have to adjust I have to summon myself to say do I believe them today so that's the challenge that I set for you as well. And perhaps you need to check for yourselves. I said there was three imperatives. The second imperative comes in verse 12. Be careful then, brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Spending time with my mum at the cardiology wards, you are aware that there is a lot of monitors and there is a lot of beeping 
going on everywhere. And it's, 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 um, I, I don't know how those nurses and doctors work there. But maybe, maybe they become so familiar with it, they, 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 they've lost touch with what's going on. I don't think so. But, but I don't know, it's white noise. But I just wonder if I was to put a monitor that was going to check my heart. Will it beep? <laughs> my spiritual heart, David. <laughs> Let's hope so. Be careful is the second imperative. Dear brothers and sisters, make sure that you think, make sure that your hearts are not evil and unbelieving. The only picture that I could come up with here is, do you know when you're watching sport with friends and everybody has got an opinion of, what that particular sportsman should do, whether football or rugby or whatever. So they can, as if the people who are sitting on the sofa, I've, what did I call it? I call it, um, I have a name for it. Never mind. Um, this sofa experts say what they should do and they shouldn't do. And I think this is what the writer is saying. It's very easy for you to say, oh, the people in Kadesh Baniya, not me. I'm better. Not me because I'm cleverer. Not me because I'm more sophisticated. That was Stone Age, for goodness sake. I live in the 21st century. We've got computers. And he's saying, watch out, brothers and sisters. Watch out. That your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. Watch out that our hearts are tuned and are going towards and for the living God. So, how do we make sure that our hearts are towards the living God? Well, the answer is there. It's not just giving instructions as a loose cannon. The third imperative on this chapter 3 is that actually you warn or you encourage one another. And when is that done? Today. A word for today. So, that's what it says. You must warn, verse 13, each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. We've got a responsibility here. That one another, that watching over one another. We've got a responsibility here to encourage one another so that our hearts 
stone gets hardened. How many times have I found myself sympathizing with people that are complaining or they are not on the right relationship with God and I sympathize and I don't say anything when actually I should step in and say, but watch your heart that it does not get hardened towards unbelief because unbelief leads to rebellion. And rebellion is not God's will for his followers. So, I know this message may come a bit strong today, but that's why what I love about Restore, that actually we cannot pick and choose from the passages that we're reading. This is God's word for us. So today, as a church of God, we're challenged to consider Jesus. To focus all our thinking in the midst of all disruptions and consider him and what he has done. Listen, he is your apostle and he's your high priest. The second imperative for us is not just only to consider Jesus, but actually to take care, to watch out whether there is any delusions in us about our hardening of hearts. And the third imperative is to look after and to encourage and to warn, to come alongside each other, to say how soft is your heart towards God. We've got an opportunity this week to live lives with hearts towards God, softened for His Spirit and His Word to work, so that He may receive the glory that is due to His name, so that we may continue to fulfill the spiritual purposes that God has got for us, to worship Him, to display Him and His character, and to be a blessing to others. And I want to echo Eileen's prayer for all of us that Lord God may be gracious to all of us this week. God bless you. Thank you for listening.